Barry Popkin, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology. Before we start discussing your personal view concerning sugar consumption and implications for public health, can you just give us your full title and affiliation, please? I'm a PhD in economics and a professor of nutrition epidemiology. I'm the W.K. Keenan Jr. Distinguished Professor of Nutrition at the University of North Carolina. Let's start off with a fairly basic question. Your, your personal view is discussing this very, very topical issue. It's certainly topical here in the UK at the moment, and I'm sure elsewhere as well. That is the consumption of sweetened beverages and the implications for public health. Why is this an important area of focus for you at the moment? The first thing is that we learned about in the new science really in the last 20 years on beverages. We did not understand before that that when you drink a beverage, it does not affect your food intake. So that if I drink water, I don't change my calories at dinner and it's perfectly healthy or tea with a little bit of sugar or coffee with a little bit of sugar, fine. No big change in your energy intake. When I drink a caloric beverage, like a Coke or a Pepsi or any other fruit drink or carbonated beverage or fruit juice or a latte with tons of sugars and creams and things, they add calories to our diet. And that's the first thing. And they've been linked in a number of random controlled trials, meta-analyses, huge cohorts across the globe, from Asia to Latin America to the U.S. and Europe with very large increased risks of not only weight gain and, and obesity incidents, but also very much important for diabetes and many other cardiometabolic risks to the point where not only the World Heart Federation, but also the American Institute of Cancer Research and the World Cancer Research Fund and all the cancer societies call sugary beverages one of the major threats to in terms of preventing cancer in the world. So the issue is we shifted from drinking mainly water and unsweetened tea and coffee or tea and coffee like the Brits do with a little bit of sugar and other flavors to a very high intake of these caloric beverages starting in the 1980s really and it exploded in the last 25 years across not only the UK, the US, Australia, New Zealand as major consuming countries, but Latin America, many countries in Asia and Africa, and the consumption globally is going up very, very rapidly. There's some very special qualities about sugar that are very, I feel, are very important for our health. One is it's a combination of fructose and glucose, but the fructose component is metabolized in the liver and it adds to fatty liver disease and uric acid and it has special effects on our metabolism independent of the glucose. Together the two have very different, much more powerful effects on our health than do other refined carbohydrates so that this really added to the sugar intake of the globe. Thank you. Tell us about some of the new data in your personal view, which is talking about trends in global sales of uh, sweetened drink and, and where this data comes from. There are two points I, I tried to make. First, I showed using very detailed data from the U.S. 
on every ingredient on all the food products purchased in the country on nationally representative data that about 80% of all of our foods have added caloric sweeteners and that it's not just beverages, but it's also food where they're being added at an increasing level. And what's happening in the U.S. is happening in, in, across the globe. So that it's not just sugar and beverages, but sugar and food that we, we understand. But then I shifted and showed the beverage trends because the beverage area is the area we see as kind of what we would think of as the low-hanging fruit. It's an area where we consume something which has no benefits to us except taste. And if we can adjust our taste and get an equal pleasure from water, tea, coffee, and other low caloric kinds of ways to drink, we will be so much healthier. So then I go on and show the trends with some new data that we just worked out with a large global company to create a caloric intake sales trends for the top 50 largest countries in the world. And we showed that there were, well, let's talk with the very five largest countries. That's the UK, the US, Mexico, Chile, and Peru. These countries are, are very large consumers. We also showed that truly the largest consuming regions, of course, North America, because dominated by America, the Latin America, and Australasia. Um, yeah, that's Australia and New Zealand, but that every region in the world is increasing its intake. The U.S. has slowed down some, but it has not seen the same kind of changes in the U.K., and we're really facing a situation where some countries have reacted either because of taxes like Mexico or because of so much adverse publicity like the U.S., but in general, the intake and sales of these products are going up, and the impact on our health, particularly on the risks of diabetes and all sorts of other cardiometabolic problems, is very significant. Now, I wanted to ask you about that. What are some of the major trends that you've identified in terms of soft drink consumption then? The biggest trend is the rapid acceleration across the low- and middle-income countries. Uh, Latin America certainly is the largest consuming country, but that's just because they started earlier and the marketing and the retail sector was bigger there earlier. But the trends that we see in Latin America, we're really now seeing globally. We, we certainly see in every low and middle income area, as well as globally, increased caloric sales between the, over the last six or seven years. And then when I shift and look at show the volume, we even see higher increases going on because we have a much longer time period. But the, the general end answer is, aside from the United States and Canada where there's been a decline, we don't have any region where we see really significant reductions and every region is increasing. That includes Western Europe, which is a little bit stable, but that's really a hidden by some countries going up and some countries just stabilized at the moment. Thank you. You talk also in the personal view about policy issues, policy responses, potential policy responses to this 
growing global health problem and sugar tax obviously that's something topical here in the UK Mexico you've mentioned already can you just outline some of the other possibilities for policy so I'm very actively involved we're the team that worked with Mexico over 10 years to help develop these taxes and we're jointly evaluating the taxes in Mexico and also in Berkeley. In Mexico, we'll have a paper coming out, I think, in the next four months in an eminent British journal, which will show essentially the taxes worked, but they were small. They were only 10%. We really need a 20 or 30% tax to have a serious impact in the same way we did for tobacco on the, the consumption of it. But aside from taxing, the second thing that started in some countries and Chile is the first to do this, where Chile will be doing two things, banning the marketing of all what they call junk food and uh, beverages that are either high in added sugar, high in sodium, high in unhealthy saturated fats, or very high in calories. They will have two things done. They will not be allowed to be marketed on any show for the next year starting in July for one year that has that reaches an audience with over 20% of the population being children. They will also have a logo on them saying high in sodium, high in sugar. It'll be very prominent, like a sixth of the space on the front of the package for each of these logos. Quite prominent saying if they're, they have a high level of each of these. And then a year later, the president is just going to be signing soon a bill that will ban all media from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Because we know that children are influenced by their parents and they watch many shows that like sports events, soap operas, other things that are not necessarily children's shows. So that we really not need to not only reach them, but their parents. So Chile will be the first major country with very serious marketing controls. And it will not only be on television, it will be on whatever they can control the internet, it will be on billboards, it will be on movie placement. It's essentially as systematic and comprehensive as can do. So that's the second big area, marketing controls, and the third is front of label package uh, profiles. You have the traffic lights, we don't know if that's gonna work or if it's too complex, but we do know that limiting media and marketing to products which are either only healthy or getting rid of the marketing of unhealthy products is, we expect, quite important. But we have to evaluate it and really see how it changes attitudes, knowledge, and ultimately food purchasing and diet. So that's the next two big efforts. The final one that's really happened probably in 40 countries today is banning from schools all unhealthy beverages. Essentially, water and milk are allowed in the schools in many, many countries. A few countries have also banned fruit juices because they essentially are very high sources of sugar as well. Uh, others have not yet. So these, in schools, number one, some countries have done this in all government buildings and all government-financed hospitals. In the U.S., there's a movement where all hospitals are trying to remove uh, these unhealthy foods and beverages from their vending machines. So that's really the set of major initiatives that we're talking about. There's also counter-movements going on across the globe to try to get people to change to eating only real food and real water and simple beverages like coffee and tea, and they all fit together. It's about eating a healthier diet 
and cutting our consumption of these caloric beverages and particularly cutting our sugar intake. There is one country I can't mention yet until the taxes law that will be taxing sugar. And that is seen by many economists as one of the most effective ways to deal with this issue. It not only cuts the sugar in beverages, but it will cut it in foods. And uh, we have from WHO a very excellent meta-analysis that shows that sugar in foods also has a significant risk on, for diabetes and other cardiometabolic problems. But it hasn't been talked about as much in the policy arena, except that WHO began it with the recommendation that the UK is following. The UK has said 5% of our calories should come from added sugar. That will include food and beverages, which will be almost impossible to follow unless we deal with sugar and food over time as well. Absolutely. Final question. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago uh, fruit juices and problems that they have in terms of sugar load. You also do mention in your piece that the problem for policymakers concerning artificial sweeteners and 100% fruit juices in terms of the policy implications. Do you want to just finish with that? Because a lot of people will think unsweetened is the way to go. Right. The issue there with the fruit juice is there haven't been enough studies. There have been several very long, large cohorts in Singapore, in the U.S., that have shown a, a large increased risk from consuming fruit juice. But the literature is inconsistent. We have no random controlled trials on children and adults yet to really help us understand the fruit juice issue. In terms of diet sweeteners, there's really two separate literatures. There's a literature on diet sweeteners that also looks at the diets of the diet sweetener users. And in both Europe and the U.S., it, there are two groups. There's a group of diet sweetener people that eat a healthy diet. That group reduces in several studies the risk of cardiometabolic problems. But the unhealthy eaters, let's say the fast food or pizza or bangers and mashers plus diet 